hearing a noise about it, but then leaving this and seeing how your team suddenly get cancer and gossip behind the backs and everything is happening, you know it's not the team problem. You know it's your problem there. You have to fix it. And how did it happen? What's happening behind your back? Is You are responsible for this. This is what I've been realizing quite a bit. Welcome to the Unfair Advantage Project. Unique perspectives, practical insights, and unexpected discoveries directly focused on giving you the unfair advantage. Introducing your hosts, Nadia Hughes and Terrence Toe. Welcome to the Unfair Advantage Project. I'm Terrence Toe, Founder, Managing Director of Strategic Corporation. And today I have my co-host, Nadia. Welcome, Nadia. Good morning. Good morning, Terence. I'm from Unfair Advantage Accounting, and I'm so happy to be here greeting our guest. Yes, and today we have an amazing guest, Virginia Warren, who practices as the Zen lawyer, and also she's a conflict alchemist, let's say, and also an author of a very interestingly titled book called (laughs) (laughs) Let's Kiss All the Lawyers, uh, Said No One Ever. So welcome, Virginia. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me here today. Well, I'm looking forward to having a bunch of, so I will start asking you a question. I, before I met you and before I knew what you're doing, I saw your posts on LinkedIn and they were interesting, say at least. I didn't expect, well, first of all, for start a Zen lawyer. Then I saw unicorns and fairies and <laughs> other stuff. The real which... things in life. <laughs> <laughs> and I was thinking, uh, what's going on? So what's happening there? Well, I suppose what got me to that place was I probably need to step back a little bit in time to talk about all that. Um, step I, away. Yeah. In life, I say there are no accidents. Um, so let me talk about how I got into law. Originally, I went off and had my child, who's now 21 years of age, and I'm sitting around the house thinking my brain's going to turn to mush because it's four months along and I thought I've got to do something. As it turned out, a job came up at a law firm in Mornington. I worked previously at at one of their sort of partner firms in Frankston and they said, look, there's a receptionist job open. And I thought, oh, look, that'll be great. Just get me out of the house. And a daycare centre, funnily enough, accidentally enough, had just opened up next door, physically next door. So I could still breastfeed and I could do all those things. I thought, great, I'm going to do this job. As it turned out, the partnership changed hands there and a city lawyer come down, taken over the practice And he saw some potential in me. I was sort of helping out because he wasn't really sort of all that familiar with running a small practice, having been a city firm lawyer. And he said, look, would you like to go through law school? And I thought, what a great idea that would be. I have a toddler, a full-time job. Why not throw law school in the mix? That sounds like fun. So I did that. (laughs) And I thought, yeah, I could be a lawyer. I could save people. I could rule the world. And six seven years later, I got my law degree. I managed that with a husband who did help me out, minding, you know, because you've got a toddler, you know, (laughs) they, they demand a lot of your time. So I needed all that assistance and got through that process, got myself into, ultimately into a partnership in a law firm in Mornington. Then what happened was I'm walking down the main street in my heels, dressed up, suit, heels, leopard print heels. I go to cross the crossing, those zebra crossings. I fall down in front of traffic, cars. They're looking at me. I'm on my knees in the middle of the crossing. Bruised knees and ego later, I go off and see my chiropractor who said to me, Virginia, no more Zumba for you. You need to start doing yoga. I thought my life had ended. (laughs) I thought, oh, my God, that will be like watching paint dry. I cannot do yoga. But I took his sound advice after many eye rolls and um, my first yoga class was changed my life. I fell in love with yoga on the spot. I just felt like I'd done it before. It was like something in my bones. And with that, I got a diploma in yoga teaching because I wanted to understand the philosophies more. There was just so, this was such a, it moved me, this whole practice. And then I got to 
feeling things and I thought people need to hear messages, interesting messages about this. So I started putting the posts on LinkedIn and thought, you know, I know that this is probably going is, is dangerous for a lawyer to step out and start thinking like this, but I'm going to test the water. And as it turned out, people were private messaging me, oh, what are you doing? What's going on? You, you see life in a different way. And so I thought, yeah, you know, there are people like that, like, like me out there that wanted something more than what their jobs were going to offer them. So, look, I, I continued along those lines and then I started looking into wellness for lawyers because it was really – I could see so many people struggling with the law practice, we know that people don't like lawyers. There's no secret about it. Who wants to get up and do a day job where you go into battle every day? Nobody likes you for it. You come out with unhappy clients because people, nobody wins. There's, you know, people who say, I, I'm hiring a lawyer, you're going to win. But there's no winning. People come away with less than they went in with. And I looked into the wellness for lawyers out there and what I found was some of our governing bodies would say things like, have a little brochure for you. Eat well, sleep well, get exercise, breathe some fresh air, go speak to your supervisor, who's probably the one causing you the grief in the first place. And the favourite gem of all was go and meditate. And I thought, oh my Lord, you are speaking to lawyers. I don't know what meditation even means. I just think it's sitting there, you know, saying, oh, I'm with your legs crossed. No. <laughs> I might interject here because yeah. the lawyers as a bunch itself, if you were to describe lawyers, it would be expensive for me, my perception from outside. Yeah. Wine drinking, some gourmet food, expensive cars, high heels. And really posh talk with an egg in their mouth. Is it correct? <laughs> Have I described this? Look, that is the perception. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And that we don't care. Mm -hmm. We're going to take your money. Yep. And we don't care. Mm -hmm. So that's the disconnect. Because I, I don't know. Um, I feel that. And look, this is a fact. People have seen lawyers that they say they don't they didn't hear me they didn't hear what I was trying to say to them and they go into court and they're not connecting with their client at all it's a personal trip on what I'm going to win for you or really for myself or and that and I'm generalizing here but this is the problem that we have a general perception that lawyers are all these rogues money grabbing ice machines armor plated machines as I speak about in my book so it's a real problem. So what we have here, we have got lawyers who just have this outside perspective on, on them. Then they have this cohesive group of, well, so what? We're just here to make money and we will be making this money. And we have you who has to challenge both. You have to challenge a bunch of lawyers and you have to challenge perspective of the crowd. Yes. Because... What our listeners, who our listeners are, target market are business owners, and we they do go through in their life with a working life, with a personal life. To nobody avoided lawyer contact with a lawyer, and when you talk to them, it's just usually you get an eye roll. That's correct, and you start challenging this perspective. But for me, from business perspective, what you're doing is it's a required brevity because you were going against the flow suddenly when you was one of who is posting unicorns on the serious page. Yeah. And now there are more unicorns out there. It's great. Yes. <laughs> and sparkles. Uh, and a reaction of your peers, they, they were scared to contact you openly. They were not com commenting openly, mm -hmm. but secretly in a private message, you had those admirers who said, well, I hope nobody sees me that I'm going to this lawyer and talking to her heart to heart. They still don't want to come out of the closet. Yes, that, exactly. It's all you have these closet conversations. Everybody confessing they're hungry for this change, yet they, know, they don't have the brevity to step out of stereotype. I think what's going to have to happen is people, it's going to have to be the public who says to everybody, I want a lawyer that does that because that's just supply and demand. I want the lawyers that do work like this, then all the other lawyers will have to start working like this. So it really is the public are complaining about it. The public need to make that shift and say, we want change. We want someone who listens to us. We want 
It even goes deeper than that. It goes deeper into the way we practice law, the way law is taught, and that will change the public perception. We need to, at present, the model is if you have a problem, and it could be in a business partnership, for example, say you're fighting with your business partner, you come to me. And it never happens in real life. It doesn't. <laughs> I've never heard of such a thing, no. Um, or any problem at all, really. But we're talking about business today, so or with an employee or something like this, and you think, okay, what happens is a client will come and engage a lawyer and that lawyer points out all the good parts of your case and all the bad parts of the other person's case. The lawyer for your the other side does exactly the same thing. So we're all sitting there saying, my client is right, And the other party says, my client is right. What is in that is a beautiful thing. It's called perspective. So, yes, there are both parties are right from a point of view. This is, it gets very deep because this is about just human nature. We all see things from a different point of view. And the moment a lawyer can actually understand that and step into both sides Because we can. We can already do it. We can see both sides of a case. We are obliged to be able to see both sides of a case. Yet we say, we're going to win for you. So that's just separating people. We work in separation presently. We work in, I'm going to win for you. I'm going to take all those people's assets away and everyone's going to walk away separated. The better way would be is to bring the people together and say, I see how you're right and I see how you're right. How did this conflict arise within you? And this is where the conflict alchemy comes into it. There is gold in every piece of conflict. In every conflict, you can find something which says, I keep repeating a pattern personally. This is a personal thing. You'll be blaming somebody else for what's going wrong in your life, but you need to look at yourself and say, Why is this happening to me all the time? Because you'll find it's happening with all sorts of other people in your life too. And these things tend to go back to your childhood. And we all don't like to revisit our childhoods and, and talk about this, but we have to. We have to start moving backward into our own space, into what's going on with us to understand what's really happening in conflicts. So what basically I hear, and I will paraphrase it, is it What lawyers are really good at as a model is collecting those confirmational bias. They, this is tango of bias pretty much. If some facts where you engage with the client don't suit your case, you will, despite the fact that it's true and correct statement of fact, you would just dismiss it because it does not, it devastates my case. Mm. I won't use this. So therefore, you just create a story. You cre create everything what will um, support your point of view. And you just filtering happening very heavily. And then we will just come and face the other point of view, probably totally opposite to what we're presenting. And this is what normally happening and still is happening. You now turning it around and trying to tell that there is a, it's usually, it's a, again, traditional view on conflict. Conflict is bad. It's stressful. It shouldn't be happening. Wouldn't it be wonderful us all hold hands and walk around in life? And people get very irritated with conflict. They just want it pass through. They want to dismiss it from their life, push away. And the most often what happens, people run away from conflict. When they're in conflict with some person, they're not going and face this person. They actually remove themselves as far as possible. And it's happening. And in some senses, it's justifiable. I read it in your book, but sometimes... You have to look what you're demonstrating that any conflict can be so much goodness in it. It's your self-discovery in this conflict. And the other person, which at the moment can be considered as a villain, can turn into your biggest ally. Yeah, yeah. And this how your side of law, what you want to practice and already currently practicing, is going to operate. Yeah. Well, you see, that's what, what happens. A client will come to you, say, here's my problem. I can't resolve it. I'm putting it on a plate, giving it to you, lawyer. You deal with it now. Whereas I say, okay, there's the problem. Let's look at it. I'm giving it back to you, but I'm going to help you see why the conflict arose first. Before we even talk about the mechanics of the actual conflict itself, it's just like, why are you angry about it? What's happened? And I took it back to When I was studying all this, and it goes back to my yoga teacher training, and I looked into many other 
beautiful philosophies and ancient philosophies in life. And one of them that really struck up for me was shamanism. And shamanism has been around since the dawn of time. It started in Siberia and there are shamans all over the world. But traditionally, they would say, say, bring it, I'll give you a modern day example. Say we have a drug addict in our community. The shamans would say, all right, let's look at the drug addict. We're going to bring in members of the parents of the community, you know, the doctors, the lawyers, the all different heads of the community. And we're all going to sit around and say, this drug addict is our personal problem. We are all responsible for this person being in this predicament as a community. And that is the foundation of the work I do now, saying we all need to take personal responsibility for everything that is happening in our lives. And the moment that you do that, you see your life from a different perspective completely. And that model has been working. It's still working for the Austra- in the Australian Aboriginal community. They're shamans. I was in Uluru not that long ago and just went on a little walking tour and the woman was explaining that if someone does something terrible in one of the tribes, one of the elders will go and physically hurt that person. They might cut them or wound them, but that person that does the wounding has to do the nursing and bring them back to health. And I thought it's an interesting way of dealing with punishment in the community. And yes, while I'm not particularly talking about crime and law in our discussion today, that's really very relevant. Um, Yes, so that's where recidivism comes in. Repeat offenders for crime is because we're not dealing with the patterns that we grew up with. We keep repeating things in our lives. And this is what I'm saying, why people need to take personal responsibility for themselves is because they have unconscious patterns arising from childhood. And I don't know whether you want me to talk about how that all comes to be. Well, I would like you to move on because everything in whether your business or relationship, it's all about human interaction. Mm. And knowing really what moves humans and what makes us agitated and it's very important to be successful in this communication because business is all about sales we're selling our services we're creating some there is a need on the market and we're just offering to solve this need which means leads us to the basic it's a communication and if we understand each other better we can communicate better therefore what I'm doing, I'm now trying to convert it into business language, is by communicating better, we're creating quicker, more efficient ways of solving each other's problems. And what I see you doing, because you helped me personally, hence I am I have invited you to podcast because it's made me better to see my business. It's made me better to look at conflicts when I, I have a conflict will arise, doesn't matter what, because I, we are not perfect. We have inside us, we have so many different mumble jumbles. And this is my personal goal in life as a human being is to resolve quite a few of those issues and help others to resolve them. Because what else do I need to live for? Well, biological function, reproduce, I have done it pretty successfully. But now I need to <laughs> fulfill my other mission. That's where I'm at. And I think... A lot of people, I talk to the clients, a lot of people dealing with this all the time. And when I throw in them this phrase, but do you understand you're not fighting with that person, you're actually fighting with yourself. And that's actually, it's the face changes. Mm. It's an mm. interesting reaction they get. Especially when it comes to money. That's a beautiful one because, you know, all of us deal in money. We have to deal with money. And some people can't deal with money at all. They, they're frightened of it or they, they can't keep any of it. Some people are very successful. But why is that? Now, often there'll be for people that are afraid of money and say, why can't I save? Something would have happened to them in their childhood that made them reject the idea of money. And it could be something as simple as, your father left when you were very young and took all the money or a parent gambled all the money away. So you think you have an automatic distrust about money. You think money equals bad things. I'll keep money out of my life. And that's a subconscious belief that you develop when you're very small. And if we, you take yourself back into time, if you look at yourself now and say, okay, why do I have this terrible relationship with money? I can't accept it. I don't want it. 
Most people wouldn't understand that and think, of course I want money. Of course I want money in my life. But there'll be something back in your childhood that's happened to you that you think money equals something bad, something unsafe. So as a child, we do things to help us survive. That's, yes. Sorry, I don't want to cut in. What's the biggest shift do you think that we can make in a situation like that if you just you can use money as an example yes continue to use money as an example but what's the biggest shift say for instance you could help someone to go through or someone needs to go through to change that yes the idea is this became an unconscious belief when you were young so say between naught and eight years old we are sentient beings we feel our way through our world we can't actually intellectualize anything at that stage so what we say to ourselves is money is bad i'll disown that part of me that wants money you see that becomes an unconscious belief then because you didn't consciously do that as a young person it was unconscious so you need to go back in time and sit with the thought if this is the best way i like to do it is you're in a monetary situation that's upsetting you, sit with the feeling. Sit with the feeling you have. Like it could be anxiety and you think, where does that feel in my body? I can feel it. I can feel this anxiety. And sit and think if it can take you back to a place in your childhood where you had similar feelings. When you can relate to a memory back then, you'll often find the cause. And all you're doing here, this is called a shadow. You've developed a shadow and we have many of them for various things. And the theory behind all this is it's for our human growth. So we'll find ourselves in situations repeatedly, if that's your situation. If you've got a monetary problem, you'll find yourself facing money problems all the time. They're facing you everywhere in life. To say, own me. You've disowned that aspect of you that loves money. Come back and own it. It is part of you. So with that, you go back, you sit with that memory and you say to yourself, okay, I understand how I came to dislike the idea of money. I choose now to say money is good. I choose to accept that money is a part, a necessary part of my life and I, and I embrace the idea of it. And I had, you see, at the time when you're a child, you think you're responsible for all these things. You're not responsible. It was okay for you to feel that way because you were trying to survive in this world. Uh, That's just one sort of an example. And so is it as simple as that? I mean, I'm assuming it's a little bit more complex than just saying, now I'm going to own the feeling. That's a big work. I was in Virginia through a couple of my fears, which I didn't know were existing. And her really sophisticated work of it's a psychology and then also it's a huge intuition. Not every person can facilitate this process of you bringing you to this memory. It has to be a very technically sound, but at the same time, huge intuitive process, which only special people can do it for you. And this is what I found about Virginia is that she discovered those two very painful sources of my discontent in life, which I was able to address. And it's like huge weight fell off my shoulders. The next couple of days, it was, you know, we walk in life and we get heavier and heavier and heavier. We get all sorts of problems and troubles. And you can see kids, the children smile, they're happy. But when you see adults and I see a lot of business owners, we're drowning in our problems and we feel very heavy and our body grows heavy around us as well, like a reflection of all this luggage we're carrying around. And after the shadow work I have done, I, the next day I felt lighter. I felt like I lost an ugly suitcase without a handle. It was horrible to carry, very inconvenient, but I st- was too pity to throw away because it was part of me. And the beautiful thing about that is you've just let go of some of your past. The past you've been dragging in a big bag around behind without you. Without the handle. That's without the handle. And the past, you project your past into the future. Every decision you make is based on your past. That's what the problem is. That's why you must integrate shadows. That's why I advocate for this kind of work. And look, what you're saying, Nadia, for some people, yes, it's difficult to go in and find them for yourself, but you can. You can do that. Even if you start, if people sat, sat with the idea of why do I always have to be right? 
is a great another great example of why do I have to look smarter than everybody else? That's a really common one probably in the legal industry. It's just like how many qualifications do you have? Because that, all those labels and all those certificates say you are important. And if I have them on my wall, I'm yeah, I'm a really important person. So I say to those people, perhaps look back at a time in your life, and I do know some people like this and I have done work with them where they felt stupid. So they felt they were made to feel stupid at some point in their life when they were very young. So what they did was they hid stupidity away, thought, I'm not stupid, I'm very, very smart. I'll go off and get all these degrees and I'll do all these things that make me look super intelligent. And then what will happen to those people, the reason they'll find that they need to own the idea that they have stupidity within them. We all do. I lose my car keys. You know, it's, when I say stupidity, it's it's just something about that person they've rejected completely. I cannot look stupid at all. But we have, to be a whole human, we have to own all aspects of ourselves, every single part. That is very hard for some people. Another way to find a shadow is sit there and say, sit in front of a mirror and say, I am stupid and see how that feels. That will make some people feel sicker, sick as can be. Some people, yeah, you work with them and just say, say, let's look at three things about other people that drive you crazy. Can you describe three things So this is a great little task for any of the listeners. If there's anybody out there, you say, right, okay, so I find that person really stupid, that person makes me angry, and I think that person's a narcissist. What you have to do then is sit down in front of a mirror and say, I am a narcissist, and see how that feels for you. Often you will find your shadow right there, and until you can process that and then really accept that, okay, well, I could see that I have some narcissistic tendencies and I accept that part of myself because I'm a whole human. And when you do it, you feel lighter because that's not dragging around behind you anymore. It's not part of your past that needs to be resolved. What you're saying now is this technique is basically identifying the core, why it's happening. It's quite often we irritated about some things in other people We recognize it. It's familiar to us. And the question is, why it's so familiar to us? Why it's catching our eye and we're zooming on it? Because it's part of who we are. We can, because we possess this trait, we recognize it in other person really well. And it irritates us because it's causing huge impediment to our personal growth. But we can't address it within ourselves. Therefore, externalizing, finding it in others and addressing it then and there help us like It creates this illusion of us dealing with it, but reality is it's hidden deep inside. Therefore, when I'm accusing someone and being angry all the time, I am myself this angry person and I always suppress my own anger, but it doesn't mean I'm not angry inside. It's just I take such a big effort to suppress my anger. Therefore, when people get angry outside of myself, I think, how dare you be angry when I'm here struggling, suppressing my anger (laughs) and you are just unleashing it. That's not fair. That's That's, what I think happening. Yeah, yeah. the world is your mirror, basically. If you look around, and this is what I say in conflicts in law. So people come to me with their legal problem and I'm saying, look at the person that you're having the problem with. That's a mirror for you. Thank them right away for showing you where the shadows lie. When you sort that out, you'll walk away feeling lighter. (laughs) That, and that's the bottom line. And that's how lawyers can really change the way we work. Of the very quick detour, but what I also discovered working with Virginia, amazing, by the way, thank you. It's I never thought I will like unicorns and they will stand for something <laughs> apart from like, oh, my God. Enga, you just first person who actually told me that the other side, when you see an angry person and person really having a go at you and everything all the time, this aggression. The other side, flip side of the anger is what? You said to me and I just gone, it's just absolutely expired all anxiety around angry people because I stay away from angry people. I am famous for avoiding conflicts. I don't like conflicts. Yeah. I will, I rather just not, contra- you, you saw me as well, procrastinating and not saying what I want to the point that I start having my throat start getting paralyzed and you're the one who told me 
you have so much to say, you don't say it, you suppress it. That's why you get these pains in your throat. So psychosomatics kicks in and everything. But other side, so there it was, other side of anger is fear. Yeah. <laughs> the person who is angry with you, they actually scared. Mm-hmm. And when I realized suddenly over this huge monster of angry red face spitting this saliva at me, spraying the words at me, turned into this pathetic self, which just really fearful. And instead of being scared of those people, I start feeling sorry. Yes. But sorry is not a good feeling. So therefore, I need to go to a different level. What, what you can do, though, is what you're saying is right. You can see into the person. You can see the person behind the action. The anger is separate from them. So you become more empowered. It's as simple as that. You are no longer reacting to the person. The person may continue to be angry, but you don't react anymore. You're not triggered by them. Because, you know, there's a lot of people you might see in a crowd, that person makes someone angry, but it doesn't make me angry. Like, why does it make you angry? It's because that person's holding a shadow that they need to deal with on a particular level that upsets them. So for someone listening to what we're talking about and who thinks, okay, well, maybe there is something going or maybe there isn't, you know, I think you've kind of spoken about a couple of the tools that maybe, you know, you could use, but what are they the best tools, like for someone just to at least identify that there is a problem there or or there is something, you know, an area they could improve in, what's the simplest way to do that? That is simple because these are unconscious beliefs they're unconscious. The minute you recognize them, you've just made them conscious. Cool. That's it. So as soon as it's a conscious belief, you can then deal with it because you think, oh, yeah, I know I'm doing that again. I know I'm doing that again. It's the problem when it's unconscious and you have no idea why do I react to this? Why can't I save money? Why can't I lose weight? All those things, they're all based in unconscious beliefs. So we're really just talking about actually developing some sort of awareness around what you're doing. Yes. And it may be unconscious that you're doing this and develop that awareness and then you can deal with it consciously once you're brought into your conscious. Yeah, that's exactly right. The shadow doesn't exist exist when you brought light to it. And also I liked your little explanation to me about when we're little, the shadow is little. What Mm. happens when we grow up? When we grow up, that shadow is out in the world as your mirror. That's everywhere saying, it kept me safe when I was little that the shadow was fine. It kept me safe because you suppressed your stupidity. You suppressed your jealousy. Like you can't be jealous of your big sister's doll. That's terrible. Don't cry. I'll give you something to cry about. That old chestnut that we grew up with that, you know, boys don't cry. Yes, boys do cry. Boys get sad and boys need to own that, you know, and say, yeah, I was told that. And then they believe, oh, you can't cry because their parents said so. So they, instead of crying, they hid that part of them, that sad part of them away to be safe, to be loved by their parents. That's what you do. You seek approval as a child. You need them to, you need your parents to survive in this world. So you must. But by the time you become an adult, that suppressed part of yourself, that sad, that angry part will say, hang on a minute, you need to deal with me and accept me. I belong to you, own me. And so then it'll show up in drama in your life until you say, and it is as simple as seeing it you know that Nadia you've done it as simple as seeing it and then you can see beyond why that was happening to you and then you are responsible as an adult that's the difference as a child you don't have that responsibility it's taken away from you your power of choice is taken away as an adult we have power of choice you can choose a lot of people like to abdicate that power they send it to a lawyer here you fix it I don't want to choose to to own this. I, I don't. I want you to fix it and hurt the other person for me. And also, it's this is exactly where I want to point it out. Why I invited Virginia and why it's so relevant to our listeners is because it's not your fault that you got hurt. I recently heard about it, but it's your responsibility to heal. We have next level up of responsibility as business owners. We employ people. We deal with people. They come to us. And they sometimes look up to us, which creates this demand on our, it's, it's, it's a huge, for me, responsibility, be better myself. Because I am in position, not of power, but leadership. And as a leader, I have to constantly improve myself to attract good people to my business. 
I will only attract what I can attract in my current capacity. Therefore, my capacity as a human being has to be expanding forever. This is the only way to improve the environment for me, the environment for others. And the only way to influence people in a positive way is by changing yourself. This is my realization. This is what, as a leader, it might be simple truth. And they say, oh, Nadia just discovered America. Hallelujah. But it's not. <laughs> it's owning this. He hearing a noise about it, but then leaving this and seeing how your team suddenly get cancer and gossip behind the backs and everything that's happening. You know, it's not the team problem. You know, it's your problem there. You have to fix it. And how did it happen? What What's happening behind your back is... You are responsible for this. This is what I've been realizing quite a bit. When you can see your own shadows, when you can understand how this principle works, then you can see your team. You can see what's going on. You can see the dynamic. It's valuable. You can see your clients. You can see what's happening for them. And just to give them a little bit of insight into themselves, it's just you're giving them a gift as well. That's beautiful. That's cool. So are there some simple kind of tips that we can give someone listening to this to at least start dealing with it obviously it it sounds like it'd be really helpful to you know go through the process with you but is there some other things that maybe they can do on a really simple level to say this you can at least start dealing with it i think the best way is to look at all your relationships life is about relationship and that's what I talk about for lawyers. We deal with relationship and conflict. We've got the double whammy all the time. So we need to be doing this more than anybody. But for anybody else, firstly, it's always probably your personal relationships. Look at them. See what the triggers are there. That's the starting point. That is where you start looking, business or personal, but more so personal because we are attracted to people in life for the very reason that they help us grow. And these are, when you talk about triggers, these are the triggers that maybe set you off, right? Yeah, personal triggers, that's right. Make you wild. Are are they the things that make you happy, make you sad, or is it, you know, as we're focusing on the things that make you angry and, you know. Happy, sad, anything. Any emotion that is probably sets you off on an unrealistic, let me put it this way. If it's an emotion, we should always process all emotions. We are the full spectrum, the whole rainbow of emotions. We must be able to feel everything. So the situation is you have a trigger when the emotion lasts for, it was Jill Bolte-Taylor that said she was a neuroscientist. She said more than 90 seconds, the 90-second rule, if you're holding on to anger or jealousy or some negative emotion for about more than that, you need to investigate where the trigger is, what's happened, what shadow you're holding on to. Because after that, yeah, you're entitled to be angry. Be angry. Anger is a great boundary for things. It's like, don't come near, don't touch that. This is mine. Don't. That's vital. That's what other people don't, especially little girls when they're young, don't get angry. Little girls don't get angry. Well, of course they do. They must. They've got to set their boundaries in life. Um, So, yeah, all the emotions are important. But if you're really holding on to something, look, it even works in the opposite, in adoration. You might see it in, you know, pop stars or whatever, you know, people are obsessed by this person. That's a positive shadow that's been projected. It's like you're not owning your sparkles and unicorns. You know, you're not owning that special side of yourself either. You're like, you couldn't be that superstar, but I'm projecting my desire onto that person. I, I need to be that. Own it for yourself, whatever, you know, that might be for you. So it is positive and negative. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I refer to that as maybe idolization. Yep, same. And it's it's mm-hmm. interesting because I was at a, at a dinner recently and we had these these questions to answer. And one of the questions was, who would you want to go out to dinner with? You know, if you could go out with three people, who would they be? And I actually didn't have an answer for the question because I don't idolize anyone to the point where I think, well, they're more important than, you know, anything that I'm doing right now. Mm. I don't know whether that's a problem or not, but uh, <laughs> maybe we can explore that at some stage. But... I just didn't have an answer for it. But what I did, what was interesting to me is that almost everybody has that kind of, you know, they, they look up to somebody and say, oh, you know, that person's so important. I would, you know, pretty much drop everything to get an hour with them for dinner or whatever the case is. 
So anyway, that was just something that I found interesting. Yeah, that's true. Uh, but yeah, those people that are obsessed by anything, that's where the shadow is lying. So yes, you're allowed to think someone's fabulous and all those things, and you should. You should do everything. The whole spectrum of emotions must be owned. And that is where you, you can even sit and go through a range of them yourself and say, you know, I am angry, I'm happy, I'm sad, I'm all these things. And Does it feel good to say it? Yeah, I can, I can be all those things. So that's that's a pretty healthy person. But it's when you say, yeah, I'm jealous and that doesn't sit with you, yeah, you have to start looking at why that is. And know that it's okay to be a jealous person. That's fine. Just don't. What nugget of wisdom for me from this, I was listening to you in Terence, is if I'm holding on to some emotion longer than you said 90 minutes, but second, seconds. Second, <laughs> seconds, oh my goodness, 90 minutes. I, I must be, <laughs> 90 seconds. Let's not make that the norm. That's a strong one. <laughs> uh, well, we have some emotions we um, hold on to days, months. Yes. we angry or we upset or we hurt or anything. It means this is just now I'm just sharing with you my inner works. What I'm realizing is this means we are off balance. It's normal, you say, to experience any emotion, jealousy, anything, because we're human beings and it's part of our who we are. It's also some of them triggered by amygdala, our safety and mechanism mm-hmm. and everything. Some of them creative ones and love and affection and everything, but they're all basic fabric of who we are. And then what's happening is if we zooming in and holding on to something, it means we're off balance. And us as a human being, when we to observe, and this is what called self-awareness, oh, I'm angry. I didn't realize I was angry. Oh, I'm hurt and I'm acting like a victim here. Is This is bring back this balance. And what Terence was keep asking you, because, yeah, I know this This sounds great, but how do I actually, he's a practical man. He <laughs> Give me the tools, how I'm going to do it. So, yeah, it's good. Yeah, I'm angry, I'm jealous. Now what? What do I do next? And sitting in front of me, pronouncing things and realizing that, no, it doesn't sit right with me. What next step? What's the next, very next step? How do we create this balance back? You do meditation. Yeah, a lot of people for like beginners who never done meditation and a lot of business owners hear about this meditation. Mm. It's just a buzzword. Everybody tries to meditate. Mm. Half of them fall asleep. Half of them just do business planning in their head while it's quiet time. But what really true meditation is, nobody really very few selected few knows what yeah. it means and why it's become so popular in the business world people suddenly start we started our conversation with Terence very practical man start suddenly talking about breathing said I'm very emotionally disconnected but then we finding out through breathing he's very emotionally connected and this all things a lot of buzz happening around this self-awareness in business what's happening to the business community but what's the problem with it all is not many understand exactly what it means. It just, for some it's fashion, for some it's fed, and only for very few they own this part and they actually stepping it. And I hope our listeners are on the way of actually owning this part rather than joining the fed. Well, and you're so right, Nadia. That's it is a fad because people think, oh, wellness, mindfulness, all those things, wonderful. But that nobody knows what it really is. It's this fairy creature that sort of, you know, <laughs> wanders around. And, oh, yes, I do mindfulness, but people have no idea. The thing is, number one, bring awareness to the shadow. That's the only thing you can do. That's step one. Because if you are trying to be mindful or meditate. If you haven't brought a shadow into awareness, it will prevent you from meditating because what's happening is it's dragging you into the past. Meditation is simply being in the now. It is one-pointed focus on anything at all. It could be crochet. That's meditation. It is taking your mind away from attachments. That's a meditation. I say you can meditate over your morning egg. You can watch that water slowly boiling as long as you're just watching the water boil, putting the egg in, watching it cook. Three minutes of meditation right there. It is taking your mind away from all the attachments. So that's a meditation. That's what meditation is. If you are 
staring at your egg and your mind is on the fight you had with your partner last night, then you have a shadow because you're carrying some past with you. The past is happening instead of your meditation right now. So it's a good indication because people say, I can't meditate. It's because they haven't dealt with their shadows. I love that. So is surfing meditation? Yes. If you're in that space, it doesn't matter what you're doing. You could be mowing the lawn. If you're totally in a, in the zone, I like to call it, in the yeah. zone, that is meditation. Because I just now I want to meditate daily. Yeah. <laughs> Go for it. It's a, it's Whatever a, it does. It's a semi-trance, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's, it's a, just you are right now. You are not tomorrow. You are not five minutes ahead. You're not your fight last night or all that chocolate you ate. It is right now. It has this feeling of you mesmerized by something and sometimes you even get goosebumps from thinking of it. And what happens then is that's when your best inspiration comes in. Yeah. And why does it happen? Why this meditation becomes so important? What happened in the brain when you do this, this type of limbs of mesmerization? You are connected to your higher self. It's as simple as that. What is higher self? Your higher self is, it's your super conscious. But it's for listeners. Yeah. (laughs) It means you're not, you're in a higher vibe basically because pain, lust, frustration, all those negative emotions, they operate at a lower vibration. And this is a whole other story, but it has science attached to it. So it's not airy fairy and unicorns. Well, there might be some sparkles attached to it. But basically what you are doing is you're operating at a higher vibration. We are energetic beings. Uh, We are surrounded by a magnetic field. The more you relax, um, relax, no, relax isn't a good word. The more you are in the meditation zone, the more you are not attached to your thoughts. Now, see, people think you can't think when you're meditating. No, you still think. People must think but you let them float by. You don't, what you don't do is you don't attach to the thought anymore. When that happens, essentially raise your vibration and then you raise your magnetic, your magnetic field expands. This is science. When that happens, you are connected to more things on the planet, in the universe. More ideas come to you. That's where your inspiration drops in. So you've lost your attachment to thought because you're staring at the boiling water and you're just staring at it. Nothing else is happening. You have raised your vibe and then you might have like, wow, I just thought of an idea for a new book. Where did that come from? From egg. From the egg. And you called it egg rhapsody. What is <laughs> no, the egg meditation, I call it. <laughs> egg meditation. I, I, I refer egg rhapsody, but yeah, no, I just plainly call it the egg meditation. <laughs> so, I mean, I get some amazing ideas in the shower. Yes. That, I mean, that's, yeah, look, and that is a great, I think it's I didn't because want to take, you, you know, the conversation necessarily to the shower, that, that, but that's, that's the honestly, reality, right? That's honestly, fine. that's. This I give you, you abs- make it say it's fine. <laughs> absolutely the truth of the matter. And often, water, surfing, water is one of those really nurturing, healing spaces to be in the more you can get yourself down to the beach touch feet on the earth you know anyway i could go on yeah okay so i mean one thing and i agree with nadia you know when you were talking about the 90 second rule i think that's a it's really practical example of, of a way that we can identify something so that's really good so thank you for that one of the other thing i wasn't really sure like i know that i feel a lot better and i know i get a lot of ideas whether they're great or not i get a lot of ideas when I'm either out in the water surfing or I'm out on my mountain bike, you know, riding, or, as I said, in the shower, maybe I had a, an idea that maybe that was some form of meditation, but I'd never really thought of it as, you know, hey, this is my meditation. Well, you were yeah. detached, you were in a moment, and you were mesmerized by the actual activity instead of bringing something. And they say, there is a saying, the happy person is present in what they're doing, and they, one of businessmen explained it to me, and I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, again, these buzzwords and everything being now, and yeah, from like popularized power of now and everything. I didn't understand until he explained it to me. When I play golf, I think of golf. When I am on business meeting, I think just about business. And this is true sign of true happiness and fact that I live my life right. But what happened for me to be in this it's a big huge work such a simple things i thought but what he did say when i was playing golf i was thinking about my business this was not a happy place mm. this is when i realized doesn't matter what i do i carry my business with me everywhere 
and he was making poor decisions because his brain was not in this area of creativity. And this is what our business owners need, that meditation is not a buzzword. And it's also not just sitting in position of lotus or mm. what you call it, Nestle yogurt yam. No, it's none of this freaky stuff. It's actually watching an egg, watching this uh, water trickle down your shower screen or simply swimming or mm. doing any activities. This is what it is. What people don't realize is now is all you have. Now think about that for a moment. That moment's just gone. Mm-hmm. Now that moment's gone. Those moments will never happen again. That's scary, isn't it? No. But it is. <laughs> it should be. It means that if you wasted now, it's gone. You've lost it. It's vital that we understand oh, it's, that it's now. Very, it was very situational. Mm-hmm. Uh, therefore, I didn't waste it because I was listening <laughs> to you. And every time I listen to you, I learn something. And I have to tell to our listeners, there is a huge waste having the Virginia on podcast because Virginia one of the most like beautiful looking women oh. I ever met in Australia <laughs> and she looks after herself so well and every time she just presents herself as I don't know it's like a movie star how I just a practical question because out there women will be listening to us in podcast who is business <laughs> ladies and who just don't have time like myself. I think I put myself last as a, how, the way I look and probably something I have to pick up with age, my age. What is it about you and your look? How do you go about your looks? Just practical sort of... Practical advice. Practical beauty tips from the unicorn. Yes. <laughs> because, oh, yeah, look. I, like I said, it's a waste having you on podcast. I guess, you know, really it's a shadow. I will say that honestly, as a kid, you know, red hair, freckles was just so not cool. So we did everything not to be red-haired and freckled. We'd tan up with, I think it was back in the day, it was Latam, which was some orange tan, and we bleach our hair. So we could look more like the brown blonde girls. And so that's been probably with me all my life. I finally, nearly 53, and I've stepped into the space now. I think, yeah, I'm probably doing okay, but now it's a pride. You know, it's just like, I like to look nice. I think I get out of bed of a morning, you make your day special. So, yeah, I sit and I do a little meditation or yoga. But as I say in my book too, I never make a ritual out of anything. It means I have to do something. If I have to do something, that's someone's taken my power away I choose to everything I do in life is choice and that's a big deal you know I don't drink alcohol I don't eat meat I don't eat much cane sugar maybe a tiny little bit now and then and you know it took a while those things naturally fell away from me the moment I became more of myself and owned all of my shadows and then it's fascinating can I just tell that you used to have a bottle of wine for dinner yes Yes, that's come from Pilsen who oh, has yeah. quite, quite an experience. That's such a lawyer thing to do and that's why I'm trying to explain. Like we don't need to come home and, ha- and drink the bottle of wine at the end of the day. And at one point in my life I would have thought, you're kidding me, like I live for that bottle of wine at the end of my day. But now it's just like I couldn't think of anything more repulsive to me. It's not nothing about what anyone else is doing. Everyone's on their own journey in this life. I'm and a on good mine. juicy steak used to be part of you. Yeah, journey. that's it. Yeah. Absolutely. Because you could afford mm-hmm. it. Yeah. <laughs> great look it's just something it doesn't align with me anymore because as soon as you start finding who you are and yeah you do that within your conflicts is the moment that you start then working with your truer purpose and this is what I say for lawyers as well you you might be hating your job at the moment, but if you become into alignment, and the work starts with the lawyers personally before they can even start with their clients. You can't say to someone, go and help your client when you don't know how to help yourself first. Put your own oxygen mask on first, then help others. That's my mission really to do that. And that should be for all businesses, no matter what kind you are in, work on yourself first, find your own happy place, then everything else, your real purpose will fall into place. You will align with yourself. And probably we got a little bit space left to mention your book. And the book is written in a very whimsical mm. way. I really enjoyed reading your metaphors. Never thought I will enjoy reading a book written by lawyer for lawyers. Uh, but it's actually interesting. And how did you write this book? How? Yeah, well, like, because book is a big, huge commitment. Oh, and yeah. Sti- a lot of people write a book. Mm. Now, I don't know whether to, nowadays more writers than readers. 
It could be just quite a disproportionate because people start writing books, but how many of them reading? And but I actually enjoyed reading your book, which was fascinating. Yeah, you know, I think it became from I didn't find much about wellness for lawyers, and I thought, how am I going to get them to listen? There's plenty of material that says you're depressed and suicidal, but I thought that's boring. Nobody wants to read that. So I started writing, and I got about five thousand words, and I thought this is so contrived and not me. I better write from my own space. So I have a sense of humour. And so I started writing about lawyers and how we've lost our way in the most humorous possible way. And then I talk about the true nature of humans and then I go on to explain how we're going to get through this mess, how you're going to find yourself, how are you going to help your clients in the process and how you're going to make that day job worthwhile. But the book is for absolutely anybody. It is written for lawyers because they need Who they need some serious language, help. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they need some serious help. But... The principles apply to absolutely all of humanity. I have one more question for you before we finish up. You mentioned, I think you said advocate power, or did I miss, did I not hear that properly? People advocate, I think I heard advocate power to lawyers. Abdicate, yeah. Abdicate, yeah. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. That's probably the yep. word that I would have used anyway, so that's great. Why do you think they do that? Because they've sat with their problem for a while and they can't deal with it anymore. They say, here, you take it. You deal with it. It's not mine. Mm-hmm. And that's the wrongest thing ever. Everyone moves away from conflict. Everyone does things that make them feel better. They think, I'm going to go to a lawyer, the lawyer will win for me, and then I'll feel good. And so what should they do instead? Well, this is where I would hope, yes, you still have a legal problem. Say if you've got to separate a partnership or a family, there are still some mecha- legal mechanics to do that. A lawyer is still needed for those things. However, a lawyer can come in and say to you, all right, this problem isn't actually, you're not going to give it to me. What we're going to do is we're going to give it back to you and you're going to look at how it came to be and you're going to see what great benefit this conflict has brought you and all the people around you, you'll probably end up saying thank you to the person that you're fighting with. You're almost telling me that outsourcing conflict resolution is like outsourcing parenting. It just doesn't mean it's pointless. If you are a parent, just be there with your kids. Enjoy it. There is a reason why you're a parent. And yes, and if you are in conflict, take this conflict, understand yourself. This is a very, very represent unresolved issues. Therefore, this is your chance to understand and learn about yourself as much you, as you possibly can. And only outsource the technical parts of resolution. Do not outsource the inner resolution of this. And this is what I think is extremely important. Another thing I very briefly mentioned that you are part of collaborative law movement, which means Virginia helps, and I work with Virginia in this space. I'm very proud of it. It's helping couples to separate out and avoid these long, expensive battles in court. You can actually settle outside of court, and it's very... Dignified. Uh, dignified. Yeah. It's also much cheaper process. What usually happens is couple when couple separates, if they had 1 million and they think they will get 50-50 or 60-40, none of it, they will be lucky to get 30% each because the other 30% will go on brand new push to the, their lawyers. <laughs> That's what would happen normally. And the collaborative approach is all about mitigating all this conflict. And, me- and meeting the needs and goals of the people. So we sit and listen to the people. What do you really want? Do you really want half the house? What do you want? Do you need the house for the children to grow up? What do you need? It goes into the human side of it more than the percentage and dollars and cents. What I do like and how can I explain to listeners uh, your process is about, it's about taking the sting out of this conflict and resolving asset separation in a very amicable and win-win scenario. This is important. And when I looked at mechanics of it and how it's possible, and now working with the clients through this process and being a financial advisor who is doing it and helping them to advise them on assets and what values they carry and what each one would be benefiting better off. Some people don't need a house. Some people would be better off having shares or depending on age of, for example, spouses, when it's an equal age, they can benefit more having in super. And this is what as a financial planner and advisor can help. But what the most important part is 
you have to take first, you have to take sting out of and then resolve it. If you try to resolve anything with two angry people who all they want just hurt each other, you will end up hurting them financially. That's all I see all the time, every day. Mm. And that's kind of nice to work with Virginia. Well, someone who's been through a divorce and also, let's call it a business divorce, business separation, I can definitely see the need to be handling things differently from both sides. You know, from the, there's always two sides to the equation. So I'm the same. I'm in the same absolutely boat. I have been uh, separated and uh, both ways. And that's mm. fine. It's okay. It touches on everyone's lives, and I think this is why the public needs to say we need lawyers that do life differently, their life and our life. Okay, amazing. All right. Well, I think we've covered a lot. So I just want to thank you, Virginia, for joining us. Just Quickly, how can our listener connect with you? Best ways? On Facebook, yep. through Messenger is probably the best way, or through my website, virginia warren.com. Cool. All right. Great. Thank you for joining us. And uh, I'm sure we'll Thank talk to you again much. in the future. That was fun. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to the Unfair Advantage Project. For more curated resources, visit us at unfairadvantageproject.com.